sort of little traditions start and carry on and even sometimes end. When I was uh, just a child, my parents did this thing, and maybe some of you do this, and maybe some of you don't. We have different things that we, different, that we do with our families, but what they would do is on the side of the wall, they had a, a long piece of tape um, all the way to the ceiling, all the way to the ceiling, and every birthday, did you do this? Every birthday, me and or my one of my four other siblings, one of us five, would stand up with your back against the wall and put a little knife above your head and make a little mark, okay, and you write down Mickey, age ten, okay, and and for each one of us, they would do that. And um, did anybody else, your family, do that growing up? Okay, just a few of us, yeah. So I remember really clear they're looking at that and just being very, maybe confused or just uh, amazed by it. A lot of things just really struck me, okay? Like, for instance, why didn't it start at zero? Why wasn't there, you know, why, why, did it, why was there a line, like nothing between, you know, birth and age two or three? Well, how tall was I when I was born? I remember thinking this when I was just a kid. Look, I was really bored, okay? We didn't have a PlayStation or, or any of that kind of stuff, all right? So you had to find something to do. And I remember just looking at that and thinking, you know, why did it start there? Why, why not smaller, okay? But I, but I also be, remember being very perplexed that the, the tape didn't go high enough. I mean, what happens if we're taller than this? You know, what if I'm more than eight feet tall? I remember almost fretting over this, you know, like, what are we going to do if if we get above the ceiling? What are we going to do? I do remember also when finally it reached the day when I stood against the wall and put the knife above, my dad put the knife above my head, it was safe, okay, but, you know, put a butcher's knife above my head, okay, and Mark a little line, and I'd say, now you, now you get up there, you get up there. And I remember the day when my dad stood against the wall, and guess what? My mark was higher than his. It was like, yes, I'm taller than my dad. Remember those days? It's funny, as you get older, growth kind of changes, doesn't it? I'm not trying to grow up, I'm trying to grow smaller. Do you understand what I mean? Okay, it's like that's just a battle we all have, right? I want to talk today about growth. I want to talk about the most important growth, and that's our spiritual growth, the growth that, that we're invited to and what God really desires. And I want you to know that all three of our focus groups right now, all three of them, and this wasn't exactly planned by us, I guess it was by the Spirit of God, all three of our focus groups would lend themselves very much to a follow-up to what I have to say today and last week. If you desire to grow in your relationship with the Lord, we just want to offer to you the opportunity on Sunday mornings at 9.30 to have just a small group of people who talk about how to grow in your relationship with Christ. But for now, we want to see what God's Word has to say to us this morning. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't, know what, I don't know what your week has been. I don't know what your relationships are like right now. Listen, I, I just want to invite you. Come with me. And let's put all that, side, all that stuff away for a little bit. All right? I've had a stressful week too. I've had things in my life as well. We all have. It's just life, right? Let's just put that stuff aside. And let's focus upon the Lord. And we, if we go to prayer, happy to see... Tracy and Brent here, we've been praying for you guys. Great to see you guys in church with us this morning. We'll continue to pray for them. Let's go to the Lord now together.
Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your work in our life, Lord. Even through the hard times that come. Hard things physically that come our way. Hard things relationally, Lord. Emotionally. Lord, we've all had very full weeks. And now we are giving you permission, Lord, as if you needed it, but giving you permission. We're inviting you to speak to our heart as we open up your word that you breathed out for us that we might be really pushed forward, spurred on by it. We thank you for Jesus, Lord, and the fact that in him we can approach you with confidence. Amen. Well, you know that we're going through the, the chapter, the fourth chapter of Ephesians this summer. We're spending the summer in Ephesians chapter 4. And um, we went through chapters 1, 2, and 3, a little bit of a faster rate. It took us just a couple months to get through that. And we saw over and over and over in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that were, there were a lot of declarations about who we were in Christ, who we are in Christ. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about our riches that we have in Christ that we've been adopted before the foundations of the world. He chose us to know him. And so we spent a great deal of time looking at the truth that we know about us in Jesus. And we said that in the first three chapters, in all of those verses, probably about 60-some verses, there's really only one command in chapters 1, 2, and 3. I mean, it just blows the roof off of everybody's wrong perception about the Bible. People who don't read the Bible think that all the Bible says is do this and do that and do this and do that. And they think we all gather here and I stand up front and tell you do this and do that and do that. That's what they think we're doing. But we read chapters 1, 2, and 3 and it's all about what God has done in us. That he's done this and he's done this and he's done this. And by his grace he's done this great work in us. And he's, he's started this process in us. It's, it's much more than an energizer bunny. It's much more than a toy that you wind up and let it roll. That's not what God has done in our lives. His spirit has come and indwelled in us. A battery that never sleeps, never slumbers, okay? That's a wind up that never gets tired. The spring never goes away on, on him. And so the spirit of God is in us and working on us and working through us. All those phrases mean something a little different. But now we come in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to jump into verse number 12. I'm going to also hit number 11 just to give the context. We're going to read through verse number 16 and see the main tool that God uses in our life to mature us, to grow us up. That's what we want to talk about today. To not be children, but to mature in our relationship with God. To grow up. Remember that little cut when we were teenagers? Grow up. That really meant something back then, right? I'm not sure people say that anymore, but we used to. So we want to grow up in Christ. Verse number 11 through 16, let's read it. I think I got most of the verses for the screen. You can follow along there, but I invite you to open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a lot of phrases in there, a lot of ofs, okay? Don't let it, don't let it, don't let it mess you up there. Now 14, we're going to see what it looks like when this is happening. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this passage in verse number 12 starts with a very important word for me as a pastor as a shepherd teacher. And that's the word equip. We talked about this last week. I'll just remind you about what it was. And I, before I go into it, though, I, I want to I clarify one thing. We are all called to live out what this passage is calling us to. We are all called to this. In, in many respects, you are also called to equip people to do what this passage is calling us to. I don't want you to think that equipping is only for Pastor Lowell or only for the pastor elders. In reality, this is what God is doing. And he is inviting us all into this process. It's what God is doing on the earth. Now, in a special way and in a technical way, this, quite honestly, is is really my job description. This is what I do. You might wonder, Lowell, what do you do all week? (laughs) People have asked me that. What I'm called to do is to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. Let me tell you, it's an unhealthy church. It's an unhealthy church where the pastors are outdoing the work of the ministry. That's an unhealthy church. Now, don't get me wrong. I love serving. I love... This morning I was talking to somebody who was working in a nursery. And I said to them with with all honesty, I said, you know, I'd love to switch you places. It'd be so cool to hold those. I think I would really enjoy doing that. To just hold those babies and maybe pray for them a little bit, but just look at them and just smile. That sounds like a lot of of joy in that. There's nothing, I'm not saying that I won't or haven't or shouldn't do that. I'm not saying that at all. But it's an unhealthy church where the pastor or the pastoral team is doing all the work of the ministry. So that begs a question. That, that brings a question. Well, then, who does the work of the ministry? Do we hire people? Do we, do we have, you know, what do we do? You know the answer. You know the answer. The body of Christ is invited here to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. We're going to look at this and we're going to see some things that the pastor elder, the the shepherd teacher is called to do. 
But there's also some things that the body, and I'm included in that body. So don't think this is me telling you what to do. This is us seeing what God calls all of us to do. So we are called to respond to this equipping. All of us have been in this situation where you're trying to teach somebody something or encourage somebody, somebody to do something that they don't want to do. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been trying to teach somebody or coach somebody or, or teach some, help somebody learn to do something and they don't want to do it? The expression pushing rope comes to mind. Okay, Try it sometime. Tie a rope on something and get on one end and try to push on it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So don't be a rope push kind of person. Now let's see what God calls us to. Okay. Now we remember, just, just more review from last week, the word equip. Your translation may say to perfect. Now that's not perfect. Same spelling, I know. But it's probably good for you to see it as perfect. Just because it brings across that other idea. That this is God doing this work. His spirit does it. We saw that in Hebrews 13 verses 20 and 21. This is God working to do this. To repair and prepare. And last week we looked at the same word is used of two fishermen along the bank. Their nets are now pulled up on the boat. And they are equipping the nets. They are repairing them. And they are preparing them to be used for what they're designed to do. This is what God is doing in our lives. This is what God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are doing in your life. They are repairing you. How many of you remember needing repaired? How many of you know you need repaired more tomorrow? God's Spirit repairs us. And in in that repairing process... He prepares us. 1 Corinthians 1 comes to my mind. That as God comforts us in our suffering, he then uses us to comfort other people when they go through that similar suffering. Look at it in 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3, 4, 5. This is what God does. He repairs and then prepares. But what we saw last week is The chief means, now God is the architect, God is the designer of this process, but where it happens is in his church. Where it happens is in his church. And the number one tool that he uses is his word. That's the tool that the Spirit of God uses. And we trust that when people like myself or one of the other members of the pastor elder team or, or a member of the body or a person, a believer here opens up God's word, that this is occurring, that God's word is doing this. What I want to look at today is when this is happening, when this repair and prepare, when this equipping occurs, when the rope's being pulled, not pushed, when we have a person who is hungry and desirous and wants to be equipped, what will it look like? And I've got five things for us today that are going to be just sort of key words to, to mark for us what it looks like. And most of them come right out of our passage. It says in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ... Verse 13, until we 
all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The first thing that will be evident when we have an attitude that allows ourselves to be repaired and prepared, when we, we have an attitude that says, yes, I want to be equipped, is there will be unity. There will be unity. Now, it's important, very important for us to understand what this means. So I need you to do me a huge favor, and that is listen to what I'm going to say right now, because you think you know what I mean, and you don't. You think, you think I mean, let's all link arms and we'll all be friends, unified. That is not what this means. Now, it might look like that, but that is not what this means. So right now, you are in danger of thinking you know what I'm going to say. So brain goes off and you think about lunch and you miss it. Okay, let's see what it says. Until we all, so notice it's everybody. We all, every single believer. If you are a believer here this morning, this applies to you. Until we all attain to, it doesn't just say unity. See, if it just said until we all attain to unity, it would mean let's link arms. We are the world, 1989 or whatever year that was, right? That's not what it says. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And in reality, here's what it actually says. Listen now. Look at your passage. Until we, att- till we all attain to the unity of the faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. This unity is defined. It's not just some, you know, kumbaya, everybody get along. Let's just all be buddies. That's not what it means. It defines it. And I want you to look back at verse number 3 of chapter 4. Look, bring your eyes up the page a little bit. Notice it says that we are to be eager to maintain this. So we're hungry for this kind of unity. It's just not something that just happens. We're actually hungry for it. Well, how does it happen? It happens from verse number 13. The unity of the faith. Now, this word unity, okay, what it means is same, okay? It means, it means to believe the same. But it's important to understand what it means. And actually, even further, it means to believe, to, 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 to believe the same as if you were the same person is what it means. It means as if you were the same person you believe. Now, it's very important to understand, though, sort of the, the antecedent of this unity, the, the thing that, you're, that, that is unifying you. It's not saying you, this is not a call for you to believe the same thing as me. It's not a call for me to believe the same thing as you. It's a call for all of us to believe the same thing as God. You see the difference? The unity of the faith, not unity of law. Not you're supposed to believe the same thing I do. So by golly, get in line. That's not it. It's the unity of the faith. This is not saving faith. This is when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so I am saved. That's not what this is. This is the whole body of, of knowledge that there exists that's been revealed to us through God's word. And we call it the faith. And there, are, there is truth out there that God has revealed through his word. 
And when we understand it, when we come to know it, it unifies us. This is not, hey, believe the same thing as me. This is, hey, let's all believe what God has told us. This is why it's important that when a shepherd teacher is teaching, or when you're leading your Bible study, or your focus group, or, or at your house, that the source is the word of God. It's not what I think. It's what the Bible says. The unity of the faith. That's what unifies us. Nothing else will. You know that, right? Nothing else is going to unify you. If you're waiting for all of us to have the same interest, to all of us have the same home, the same economic position, for all of us to have the same education level or the same experience, or to all of us to like the same things, that's not happening. Because God appreciates diversity. Look around at us. We are very different. But the thing that unifies us is the faith. And not just that, but also knowledge of the Son of God. Now, this is a very intimate word, this word knowledge. It's used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's used for Adam and Eve's sexual relationship. That Adam knew his wife and she conceived and had a child. So it's a very intimate word. It's why we say intimacy with God here all the time. This is the thing that unifies us. It is, our, it is the faith that's revealed to us through his word and our knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge that we have of Jesus. The experience we have of Jesus. Now, I want to clarify this a little more, but I want to give you a little bit of a warning that I see in our sort of circle of Christianity. There's a bit of a, there's a, bit of a, a problem in our kind of culture, okay? And it becomes this, that we think it's all about what we know and not who we know. This is not calling to us to know more about God. Knowledge of the Son of God, knowledge of, of the faith. This is not, this is not God saying to you, so, you know, buy more Bible study books and find more commentaries and, and listen to more sermons. Let me be very just frank with you of what this is really calling you to do. Obey. It's obedience, folks. It's obedience. It's obeying the faith. Say, so how do you obey faith? You live out what you claim you believe. You live it out. When the bullets are flying, where the rubber meets the road, when life happens, I'm going to believe what I believe. I'm going to live what I believe. I'm not going to bring up some circumstance, but God, you didn't know about this one. You didn't know about this. You didn't know about this, God. See, that's not the unity of the faith. The faith is what God has taught us, what God has shared with us, found in his word. Found in his word. And this is the rock we must stand on 
And that's what unifies us. So when it's really, really tough, okay, I mean, it's hard. Relationship, physically, emotionally, it's hard. If you haven't experienced that, you must be asleep or something, or like age three, okay? Because life is hard. And in those moments, you got to be standing on what you say you believe. And here's what happens. The waves come, that's going to, in just a minute, we're gonna, that word's going to be used, okay? And, and all of a sudden, the, the soil and the sand is swept away. And all that's standing there, picture, see my word picture, is a little rock. And the water's just flying by. And now it's you and a few others all huddling, standing on this rock. <laughs> You're unified then. You're unified. You see, the things of life wash away all that other stuff. Opinions, ideas, impressions. But God, you didn't know this. Those things all wash away. So it's not a matter of what you know. Honestly, in my, in my life, I've found that the most, how can I say this? The most significant growth in my life is not the result of new information. It's obedience to what I already knew. It's not new information. I, I, don't, I don't pull some book off my shelf and read it and say, oh, I never thought of this before, God. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. Not that I know everything. Okay, I'm not saying that. Sometimes I see things I didn't know. But the growth occurs when I obey what I've known for a long time. I'm not to be selfish. I'm not to desire my way. I'm not, I'm not to insist that I'm first. Mm. Oh God, I, help me to be humble like you, like Jesus, and take second place. See, that's where spiritual growth occurs. That, that's, where, that's, where, that's where this growth occurs. And so, so an expression, as you remember this unity, is together with him, together with Jesus. That's where unity comes from. We're all together with him. Trying times come. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Next word is the word identity, okay? Look at it with me. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. And here comes these, several of these, expre- these phrases, and you can get lost in them, so stay with me. I'll try to help you with the inflection of my voice, but stay with me here, okay? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what are we seeing here? That maturity occurs when God allows our identity to be that of Christ. This is Christ-likeness. This is walking as Jesus walked. This word stature in verse number 13 simply means, it can mean age, but it can also mean just size, height, 
you know, girth, okay, the size of an individual. So what we're saying here is that our belief, the belief that we have, uh, the unifying belief that we had in the previous phrases of what we believe in our knowledge of the Son of God, obeying him, him bring us through suffering, him bring us through challenge, and he comes to us again, and now I know I can trust him. And so what happens is that experience as we walk our life in that way, we grow spiritually to the stature of Christ. So we're being like Jesus. It's all through the Bible. Paul said, you imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians 2, have the same mind in you that was in Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 6. Walk as Jesus walked. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, this is the goal. Romans chapter 8, conforming us to the image of his Son. It is all through the Bible. All through the Bible. This is what God is doing. Because remember what a body is. You're probably like, Lord, are you going to say this again? Yeah, it's, it's that impacting. What is a body? You don't remember even saying this now, do you? See, we don't need any information. What is a body? A body is the means for my spirit to operate in this environment. Without a body, I can't operate in this environment, right? Can't happen. Watch what happens when somebody dies. Their spirit leaves the body. And that spirit has no expression in this environment. That's what a body is. We are the body of Christ. What is that? That is the means for the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, to operate in this environment. That's what casting crowns meant. We are the body. That whole song, I'm not singing it for you. That's what it meant. That's what the song means. Our identity, we are, God is growing us. He's invested in you. He's invested in you becoming more and more like his son. And listen, this is what we, all of us, pastor included, this is what we've got to long for. This is what we have to long for in our life. It makes a rope pull rather than push. I want to be like Christ. Moving on. My next word, and this is just walk like him. I, for each one, I kind of have an expression um, that, I, that I want to just point you to. Um, actually, just to wake you up, go back to Philippians chapter 3. Actually, go forward. It's the next book. Philippians chapter 3. I want you to see here uh, an important point. I, 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 wanna, I don't want to miss this. I just really feel like this next thing is important for us to get. And that is, it's not a matter of knowing more information. It's a matter of knowing Jesus more. Philippians chapter 3. Paul's going to use this, some of these same expressions we're talking about. I'm going to jump in here. I'm going to look at verse number 13. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 13. If you look at verse number 12, he speaks of the fact that he's pressing on. In his, in his walk with Christ and Jesus has made him his own. 
verse number 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it on my own. In other words, I'm not done growing up either. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's he's moving forward. He's, He's pressing on. He's desiring this growth. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You are not done. Think this way. Think God, reveal you in me. Take the suffering that I'm in. Take the challenge that I'm in. Take the joy that I'm in and make me like your son here. Make me your ambassador here. I've got the mind of Christ. Fill my stature with that mind. That's what we're being called to. Okay, go back to Ephesians now. Next word. Next word. Comes out of verse number 14. This one isn't directly in there, but, it, but you'll see the concept. Verse number 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. We're talking about things that as we have an attitude to be equipped that God will place in our life. These are, these are markers that, that God will do them. We'll be unified. Okay? Our identity will be that of Jesus, but this one is stability. Stability. Have you ever been swimming with a two-year-old? Oh, man, they cannot keep up, I tell you. They fall away. I'm just kidding. I've never done it either. You used to see the horrible looks I was getting. But that's the expression we're seeing here. This is a young child. This, is, this word is not a 13-year-old. This is an infant. This is a baby. Tossed to and fro. You know, watch, watch a child in the back of that car seat. That's why they got those big things on the side. You know, their head's going all over the place, right? That's what we're being warned against. Because life is coming, folks. Like a locomotive, it's coming. And, and we need to be so settled in what Christ has done in us and who we are. We're unified in the faith. We're unified in the knowledge of the Son of God. Okay? Our identity is Jesus. That's who I am. I'm a Christ follower. And this brings stability. Stability. The contrast is interesting. It says so that we may no longer be children. So in other words, this is your default position. Your default position is that of a child. Not because you were born as a baby. He's talking to adults here. And he's saying, listen, you're going to be like a child. You brand new believer, you just put your trust in Christ. Or maybe you've been a believer for a long time. You just haven't matured. Do not be surprised that you're so easily blown over by the winds and the waves of your life. It's part of immaturity. And you'll grow. You'll grow. And honestly, here's how it works. You get tossed over here and you think, maybe I'll try this. And then God allows suffering, challenges, discipline to come into your life. And you get back over here and you grow up a little bit. We make a little higher mark on the wall and you go over a little, and all of a sudden you drift over this way. 
And God, maybe through the body, through a believer, through a friend, says, no, 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 come over here. And you come over here and, and, and you grow, your stature grows a little bit more. The mind of Christ is now invading more of your body. I find it interesting, we've got three warnings here. Three warnings. Let's look at them quickly, okay? Tossed to and fro by the waves. That's one word in Greek, which is interesting, but that's beside the point. Um, And carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's the first thing. By human cunning. That's the second. By craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's the third. I spent some time thinking about this week. What does that really mean? What does that mean? I'm going to take a crack at it. Every wind of doctrine. Here's what this is. Now, doctrine is just the word teaching, okay? It's just the word teaching. That's all it is. And I think what we have here is we, ha- we need to realize that there are people who will come into our midst who under the umbrella of Christianity even will teach us things, doctrine, that's false. It's false. Now, some of it's easy to see. You know, Joseph Smith is the way to heaven. No, he's not. He's not. Jesus is the only way to heaven. But people will come and they will directly teach us things that are false. And we need to recognize them and identify that and honestly get away from it. We need to avoid that. Because it will toss us. For all of a sudden, you don't know what you believe. You know, I don't, I don't think probably, if you're a believer, you're never going to give up on the fact that Jesus is the way to heaven. I realize that. But you allow false teaching to come into your life, and your witness will be destroyed because you won't really believe it anymore. You'll be convinced of false doctrine. And then your own conviction is weakened. Now, the second one says, human cunning. Human cunning. Now, this word cunning is where we get the word cube. Think of a dice, okay? A die, I guess. A pair of dice. Think of a pair of dice that are not equally weighted. They cheat. And a gambler or whatever now steals your money from you from throwing this crooked die. That's the word cunning. That's that word. It's to cheat. This is those who slip into our life and honestly, their, their point is purposely vague. They cover up the truth a little. They, they want to they distract you with something else. Away from what we know that God has said. What God has said that is. And then the last one, because I, I want to I get through this. Craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is now a plan. This is like a planned approach. This is a cult. Another world religion. The five pillars of Islam. Whatever you might want to say. This is a plan. We have, a, we have a systematized plan that will take you away from the gospel. All right, test time. I got five options. I want you to know which one of these they are. Okay? Is it wrong teaching, human cunning, or a systematized plan? Okay? First one. God is love. So he would never hold someone accountable for rejecting him or for sin. He's love. He wouldn't hold someone accountable. Which is that? You gotta watch out for these now. 
You can see that's wrong, right? Now, I identify that as human cunning. Is it true that God is love? Of course it is. Yeah. But it's taking that and, and pulling it out and, and manipulating me in what I believe. Be careful of manipulation. That's what this human cunning is. We go to the word. What does the Bible say? Here's another one. All sin is equal. All sin is equal in God's eyes. So who am I to say that this is wrong or that is wrong? All sin is equal. I challenge you. Find in the Bible where it says all sin is equal. I'd like to see that passage where it says all sin is equal. It ain't there, folks. I know the media is telling us all the time, all sin is equal. Oh, really? Then why did Jesus say, woe to you, Corazon? If what had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah had been done in your midst, they would have repented. Then why did God say, why did Jesus say to the Pharisees seven times in Matthew chapter 23, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you travel a great distance to win one convert and you make him a child of hell. Hmm. All sin is not equal, folks. That's not true. Now, which is that? Is that a false doctrine? Is that a human cunning or is that a great plan? To me, I put that under a false doctrine, okay? That's just me. You might disagree, but just understand. And I'm going to stop. I had five of these, but I'm out of time. Um, just understand that it's out there. And the problem is, remember my rock we were all standing on? Remember that? See, this false teaching invites you to step onto a rock that ain't there. It's not there. And once you get out there, I, I, can't, I can't give you any hope. I can't offer you any hope out there. Be careful with that. Be confident. That's my little expression here. Be confident in him. All right. Verse 15. Rather, I love the contrast. Okay? So instead of that, do this. Okay? And it says, my, my translation says, speaking the truth in love. Now, this is a little bit of a, of a, a misrepresentation of what this word is. In reality, what this word actually is, if you're really going to translate it, it would just be truthing. It'd be truthing. It's more than speaking. Your translation probably says speaking the truth in love. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it also includes our life. It includes our actions. Truthing. Truthing. And the word I want to bring here on this one is reality. Reality. This is, this is important. We need, we need to have a unity in Christ and in our, in our understanding. Our identity is him, okay? We, we, our stability is from Christ, and our reality is informed by truth. That's what this is saying. That our reality is informed by truth. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in him who is the head into Christ. Here's what this means. You don't know what to do? You don't know what to do? Find someone who will bring the word of God to you. That will bring the word of God to you. You say, well, the word of God is not going to tell me whether I should buy a white truck or a red truck. I know that. But it might, it might counsel you on whether you should go in debt for that truck. It might counsel on you on finding a friend 
who can help you make that decision. It might counsel you on, do you really need this, you know, fourth vehicle? Maybe you should go ahead and just use that money and give it to somebody else. It will counsel us. If we're hungry, if we're this kind of rope, rather, truthing, in relationship, truthing. I want you to truth one another. I want you to truth me. Truth me. You live it, you share it, we'll part it together, and we'll truth it together. See the example of shepherd teacher up in 411. We talked about that last week, remember? That, that my title, according to the Bible, is shepherd teacher. Hyphenated word, shepherd teacher. You know what that's supposed to mean? Inside a relationship, share truth. I'm not a professor. Inside a relationship, share truth. Now you're being called. Inside a relationship, share truth. You see, we're all in the same boat. Truthing. Truth one another. And then finally, just to wrap up, verse number 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together, by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, watch what it says, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. My word is vitality. It's alive. And this organism, this body, it grows white. It grows and deep builds itself up. Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Okay, remember that old song you sang maybe in elementary school? This is what God does. Live things grow. They multiply and they grow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. God, may we be people who are receptive to your spirit. God, who hunger for your truth. Who speak that truth to each other. Who build our lives on the rock of you, of Jesus and your truth. Because no other place, no other rock, no other Lord is worthy. You are king. And we want your kingship in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.